Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Thinking Grow Rich. Many of you are familiar with that title because I've done a lot of interviews with the Napoleon Hill Foundation and also with Sharon Lecter. And you guys have really enjoyed that. And so I've invited Sharon back to go even deeper. Um, Sharon is the author of her latest book, which is Think and Grow Rich for Women. And we're going to talk about in this interview about more about standing in your own power and discovering what is holding you back from other opportunities in your life. Sharon, thank you so much for returning today. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Great. So I wanted to talk about, because last time we, we spoke, you would, right as we were wrapping up, you would ask these you'd offer these great questions for the listeners to ask themselves. And one was, what is it in your life that may be holding you back? And from your experience, what either in your own personal life or with people that you've worked with or readers who've read your book, what is the thing that seems to be holding people back? Is there kind of a constant theme? Well, the the biggest one and everything, almost, almost all else falls under the umbrella of fear. Um, and, even lack of self-confidence is really a fear, fear of not succeeding. And, um, in fact, in Outwitting the Devil, which was my book before Thinking Rich for Women, it was a book that Napoleon Hill himself wrote right after releasing Thinking Grow Rich. So, as many of your listeners probably know, Thinking Grow Rich was Napoleon Hill's life work, and it came out in 1937, and he'd spent 25 years in research and in writing And even when he released it, he said, you know, even though people know what they're supposed to do to become successful, they don't do it. And that really hits home for a lot of people, including me. If you can think of a time in your life when you knew you should do something, but you just didn't do it. And so right after the release of Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill sat down and wrote this manuscript called Outweighing the Devil, talking about how fear holds us back, how we self-sabotage and create problems for ourselves subconsciously that we don't even know where it's coming from. And the manuscript was incredible, but his wife didn't like the title. Mm-hmm. And it was buried for 75 years. So we came back out with the, uh, the, the foundation after I wrote Three Feet from Gold, called to, called me and said, Sharon, we have this manuscript. We don't know what to do with it. So I had the incredible honor to be sent the manuscript, probably the only fourth person to ever read it. And I will tell you, it actually changed my life reading it. It helped me find things about myself that I needed to change. And it was really important to understand that fear does one of two things. It can paralyze us, which is what it does to most of us, or it can motivate us. And so when we can find a way to take that debilitating, paralyzing fear and turn it into motivation, because what happens is when we're fearful about something and we're afraid to take a step, we start isolating And by isolating, we just enrage the fear. And so we have to acknowledge that it's there 
and say, what kind of fear is it? Is it fear of poverty? Is it fear of the unknown? Is it fear of old age, fear of death? But a really big one that he talks about that I think is so prevalent in today's society is fear of criticism. Mm. And that fear of criticism is what's so important for us to address, both as women and for young people, because we've come, become such a society of labels. One of the exercises I do, Corinne, with people is that I, particularly women, I have them, I go, who are you? And on the right now, listeners, who are you? Come up with some one-word descriptors of who you are. Me, myself? Yes. Uh, uh, who am I? Um, oh, gosh, this is hard. So does that mean like, like the immediate word that came up to me was loyal? Okay. And for me, I'll come up with mother, wife, uh, entrepreneur, writer, and so what happens when I do this exercise, I'll have people come up with, you know, three to five descriptors of who you are, answered the question, one word. And then I will ask, how many of you wrote your own name down? And invariably, <laughs> less than 2% of the people in the room will have written their own name. Because women in particular, we judge ourselves through the eyes of others. We judge ourselves as, am I a good wife? Am I a good mother? Instead of, am I a good Sharon? And invariably, we don't take care of ourselves. We tend to put ourselves last. When we judge ourselves through the eyes of how other people see us, then we lose sight of what's really important to us. Oh, that's so good. So... They, I mean, it's, it's it's such a simple answer, right? Like, who are you? I'm Corinne. That, that's who I am. But we, we jump up beyond that. And for me, I was thinking about what are my values? You are identifying the things that you do. And you are Sharon and I'm Corinne. And what does that mean inside of there? And it's, it's frightening. It's really frightening because we've become so embedded. And certainly during we had this mm -hmm. last financial crisis, um, just even personally, I had so many friends who they lost their business, they lost their home, and yet they still wanted to show up in society at events with a new dress to make, make you know, and everybody knew that they'd lost everything, but they couldn't, they had to maintain their identity that this false identity. And so ask yourself, what is your, who are you? What is your identity? Are you allowing others to dictate? Are you trying to keep up with the Joneses? Or are you feeling good in your own shoes, feeling good in your own power, having that self-confidence? And that's the number one thing that I think holds women back. As I was doing the research and talking to women about the book, Thinking Girls for Women, it was absolutely the biggest issue. Women need to develop more self-confidence. 92% of women want to change something about their physical appearance. Only 2% of women think they're beautiful. Wow. Only 2%. And so we are very, very critical, most critical of ourselves. And so it's really important that we reach out and help each other. 
because as I as I wrote the book, one of the recommendations I said, okay, so let's it, we can't necessarily just flip a switch. I wish I could. I wish I could get everybody a magic pill that all of a sudden you're going to be very confident and strive for success. But what I do is I suggest that get two or three very good friends who can promote you. One of the we tend to be the worst promoters for ourselves. We're great promoters for other people. So accept the fact that you have this need to be a better promoter for yourself or to be more self-confident. But while you're building that self-confidence, allow others to promote you and you promote them. So work as a team to support and raise everybody up while you are creating that individual self-confidence that you need to go forward. And how does one create that individual self-confidence in themselves? One step at a time, (laughs) (laughs) understanding that your dream is your dream. Don't let anybody else tell you what your dream should be. What happens is because of this fear of criticism, we tend to listen to everybody else's opinion. And I often say, you know, are you getting opinions or are you getting counsel? Pay attention to who you listen to. Because are they truly someone who is wiser than you, someone who has more experience, and they're giving you good counsel, then listen to them. But if you are being deluged with other people's opinions, don't listen to those. Know what's true to you. Be true to yourself. And and that's what I talk about, standing in your own power. And how you build that self-confidence is through something that I call little wins. For instance, you may want to lose 50 pounds. Mm-hmm. Well, it's really easy to get frustrated when your your goal is 50 and you're down, down three. But if you set your first goal to lose five, when you hit three, you're more than halfway there. A whole different frame of reference to looking at the same element. And so you lose five pounds and you set a goal to lose the next five. And your big goal is still 50. But all of a sudden, you're going to have all these little wins along the way and all the, you're going to feel your self-confidence increase. I also talk about it with your children. You know, Let your children set little goals. Let them accomplish them and let them feel good about it. That's where self-confidence comes from. Self-confidence no, is the inner self feeling accomplishments. And those accomplishments are what build the confidence to continue on to go to the next goal. So isn't that how we get in, in our way? Like women who will set these big goals, right? Those big, hairy, audacious goals. And then if they don't have a belief in them that they can actually acquire that, isn't aren't those goals then detrimental because they've made the gap too big instead of saying, oh, okay, I'm going to set a small goal and then these small steps will eventually take me to that bigger place. Exactly. What happens, you know, we've heard the, the term and it's out there a lot. A lot of people use it. It's in my book, SMART goals. Mm-hmm. Okay. Specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-bound, meaning if you set yourself up for failure because your goal is totally out of reach, 
then you're building your own lack of confidence and frustration in the process. And that's why I talk about, you know, a 50-pound goal is good, but it's very, you know, it's something that is easily, as easy frustration, have that interim goal that you can accomplish and build the confidence um, in your business. You may want to be the number one, you know, million-dollar company, but you haven't even started yet. So set yourself a realistic goal that will get you excited and build confidence, and pretty soon you're going to wake up and you're at the million-dollar mark. Ooh, and didn't you say something that was really important, and a goal that will get you excited because isn't that that feeling going to be really important to keep you sustaining to actually accomplish your goal. And that's the excitement of the goal is important, but the excitement of accomplishing the goal is what keeps you going and makes it sustainable. So is that what you mean like in the example earlier that if you set little wins like losing five pounds and when you lose three pounds, you're, you're going, look, I'm making progress. I'm two thirds of the way there. Exactly. Or two-fifths of the way there, three-fifths of the way there. Exactly, and it's just changing your reference to one that, I, you know, I don't want anybody to think that I'm telling you to just set your sights low. You still want to have your, you know, your long-term vision, your long-term goal, but allow yourself to feel those inner interim goals and those accomplishment of making it and succeeding and then share that success with your friends. Now, you know, you've heard time and time again when there's a group of people that make commitments to lose weight or make commitments to exercise together, they typically do it um, better than if it, you do it by yourself because you have that accountability. So build in your own accountability for yourself and say, okay, I did it. I got it. I made that first step. So I'm more eager and excited about the second step. And I want to talk about the sharing the success with friends. Is this something that women are very good at doing? Absolutely. We are really good at sharing other people's success with them. We tend to not be so good about sharing our own success. Women tend to, um, not, you know, they're the, we, men have no problem staying up and saying I'm an expert. Women tend to have a harder time. They'll say, I'm good at it. Oh, I'm pretty good at that. I want women to stand in their power and say, I am an expert in whatever you do. And that by doing that, you can then share your success in a much more positive way. And women need to create masterminds. Women, you know, have a group of men and women who want you to be successful, that you meet with them regularly. And it may just be for coffee or lunch, but it's a way for you, again, it kind of helps you build in accountability and sets a goal that before you go to that next mastermind session, you want to have something good to report. So it's going to help give you that energy and that desire and motivation to take positive actions. Yeah, because deadlines are important and they're also, that's part of the SMART goals, right? That time bound. So when you have that accountability in a mastermind, there is that time instead of, oh, I can do that later. And we just push it off to later because we let other priorities or other people's priorities take hijack our own priorities. Exactly. That's where we give up our own power to, some, uh, to other people. 
And that's that's the message. Stand in your own power. Women, you know, when the tough, when the going gets really tough, women are the ones who stand up and, and take action. But I want them to stand up and take action before the going gets tough. And isn't when they when they take action when the going gets tough? I mean, that can be like I'm thinking of a, I'm thinking of two scenarios. One is say a woman who is married and then all of a sudden finds themselves divorced. I've known many women who've been in that situation and their back is up against the wall and they have to go and create a living for their family. Um, and then that might force them to stand in their own power because they have to be an advocate. And then, but isn't sometimes women standing in their own power and when they take action? it can be to take care of somebody else so they can still lose their own priorities. Right. Well, and that, that means that they're living somebody else's life. Um, so you, there are natural nurturers and caretakers. I am one, uh, you know, where your, your joy, my joy is from taking care of my family or helping friends or doing things to support other people. That is my inner joy. And so when I'm using my power to help others, I am fulfilling my personal mission. So there's nothing wrong with being a nurturer, with being, uh, you know, having the goal and the passion and the joy of helping others. Just don't lose sight of yourself in the process. So how does one do that? Because isn't that kind of tricky, Sharon? Oh, absolutely. And I'm, you know, I'm the test case for it. Um, I will, you know, I will put my own health at risk if someone else needs something done for them, and so that's an issue that we what, that comes back to that exercise. Sharon is learning how to take better care of Sharon, and if I can take better care of Sharon, then I can be even a better, greater nurturer. But it comes back to each and every one of us looking in the mirror and saying, you know, you this is the vessel God gave me. I better take better care of it. Sharon, I love how you say you're highly accomplished. You've done all these incredible things, right? And I love how you say Sharon is still learning. And because I think there's so many people out there and the listeners, especially women who'll say, oh, you know, I haven't quite learned that yet, or um, it's never going to happen, or I should have learned this. But isn't it true that we're always learning? Oh, absolutely. Um, You know, i I hope to be in a, a student of life and learning until the day I end up uh, transitioning to another another world. Because I think you know that's that's the beauty of life: engaging the brain and having the brain um, learn new things. And um, and and quite frankly, we always can improve ourselves. And so it, that's the game of life: is is striving for. Um, not excellence, but striving for completion in every way. So how is striving for completion different than striving for excellence? Well, excellence at the expense of everything else may be a problem. Um, there, you know, I tend to have that perfectionist quality. Mm-hmm. And so, Sometimes when you're a perfectionist, you will strive for perfection at the expense of the people around you. And so I think you really want to look at everything that you do. You want to have quality. 
I'm not so sure you want perfection. Mm-hmm. I interviewed um, a, a compassion researcher a couple of times. And one of the things that always stuck with me is that compassionate people have boundaries. And, and that brings to light what you're saying is that, you know, striving, you want to do excellent things. And obviously you're highly successful. You've accomplished a great deal in your life and in your career. But it's also to, to make sure that it's not at a cost, like you said, to your health or to those that you care about. And don't we always have to kind of check in to see, oh, Am I pushing, you know, am I, and I, I know I have to do this with my family. Am I running over my family in order to get this work done? And maybe I need to have a little bit better boundaries because is this push towards perfection coming at too high of a cost in maybe some other parts of my life? Well, exactly. And I think there are a lot of compassionate people who don't have boundaries. I know early um, in my career, I didn't have good enough boundaries. Imagine going into a conversation with somebody who's going through a really difficult time and you feel yourself drop to their level. And then you, as you become understand that as a compassionate person, that's not doing a service to them or to you. And so you have to understand that your goal as a truly compassionate person is to go into that environment and help bring that individual up to your level. And so you, as a compassionate per- person, we talk about, you know, the field of energy and thoughts or things. You know, if you're really open and you're empathetic to other people, you, you run the risk of, of, of taking that, that negativity, internalizing it, and causing that to impact you in a bad way as well. And so as an empathetic or a compassionate person, you need to you know, wear your armor and understand and feel their pain, but don't take it on, but allow them to see that and give them the path to rise into a situation where they can get out of their negativity. So when you talk about wearing, their, wearing an armor so that you don't take on their energy, is that also so you can, instead of jumping in to try to fix it for them, right? Where you lose sense of yourself. It's about holding that space. So you're supporting them, but allowing them to go through their process of doing their work. Right. You cannot change someone else. You can only change how you react to them. However, you can give a leg, a hand up, not a hand out to someone, someone who's in need, showing them enlightening the path that they can walk. If you do it for them, they're not learning anything. So you have to allow them to walk their journey and to learn their lesson. But you can be a great cheerleader and a great mentor, but the experience needs to be theirs. If you go in and fix something for them, they're not having the experience of learning how to fix their situation and more than likely they will repeat it. Oh, that's great. And for the listeners out there, I know so many of the women, especially the women listeners out there really struggle with this, right? Because we have this, we're nurturers and we think we take it on that it's our responsibility to go in and fix it. But what you said is so critical, critical because it's their experience and they need to experience fixing it. That will help them get self-confidence, won't it? Exactly. And that 
that is where the self-confidence comes from, of not feeling needy. If someone else is always taking care of stuff, then there's no confidence in your own ability to, to handle your life or your issues or your problems. That's what happens in so much, you know, for for parents out there. You know, we as a generation, we've created these little bubbles we put our kids in, and they, we don't want them to ever face adversity or have any problems, and yet that's how they learn. And I'd much rather they learn from adversity at five and six than wait until they're out in the real world at 25, because those issues and adversities are a whole lot bigger and a lot more expensive. <laughs> so it's better that kids learn how to deal with adversity when they're young because it gives them the skills and the life skills that will will serve them for their entire life. So Sharon, one of the other things that I do is um, I coach a youth swim team because swimming taught me so much about life. And um, and I will always say that it saved my life, But and it's my way to give back. But last spring, I was talking to the group of kids, and they were fifth through seventh graders in my group. And I, I said to them, I said, my goal for you guys is to develop resiliency. And a lot of them, especially the fifth graders, looked at me and said, Corinne, we don't know what resilience means. And so I explained to them, I said, here, see this tree right here. This tree weathers a lot of storms. It weathers the dry heat and the hot, hot 100 degree weather in, in Davis in the summers. It weathers the storms of the winters. And what happens is that it withstands the heat. And when the wind or the rain comes, it may blow, but it doesn't break. And, you know, I would like for you guys to become resilient because things will happen in life, but it's about not breaking. It's about, you know, being still being able to stand and be strong. And that's what it sounds like what you're talking about with self-confidence is that it comes from not feeling needy where they are resilient, self-confidence. So I'm thinking self-confidence comes from being resilient. Well, it does. It comes from resilience, but it also comes from capability to be resilient. It's not just the resilience. It's, it's the It's the journey of becoming resilient is what builds the confidence. Ooh, I like that. Okay, now I want to go back into something that you had said, and you talked about the field of energy and thoughts or things. Can you say more about that? Well, absolutely. First three words of thinking rich, thoughts or things. Um, and it really is what we think about comes about. You've heard that expression or what the mind can conceive and believe it can achieve. Um, a quote by Napoleon Hill. We've all heard, seen um, the movie or the book, The Secret, talks about the law of attraction. Well, that law of attraction was originally written about by Napoleon Hill back in the early teens, 1919, I think it was. So um, the issue is if you think good things, um, good good things will happen to you. If you have negative thoughts, bad things will happen to you. And it's not just that you can think good thoughts and good things will happen to you in business world. You are expected to take action. The issue is how are you approaching your action? Are you taking positive, using positive thoughts and taking positive action? So for instance, if you're worried about something, my definition of the word worry is to pray for what you do not want. So you're putting out into the universe what you don't want to have happen. You've got your little personal rototiller, I call it, my focusing on negative outcomes. And you're spending precious time thinking about negative issues. And so 
when you find yourself in that position, stop. It's okay. Instead of focusing on what I don't want to have happen, I'm going to reframe my thoughts and think about what I do want to have happen. So you transform the worry into positive focus on what the outcome you do want to have happen. And then you're going to start seeing more positive energy, more positive things happening around you because you're not focusing on the negative. So how does one transform the worry? Because a lot of people seem to spend their energy and time in that neighborhood. Let me give you the tools that that I found because I am a champion warrior and a little lady of guilt here. Um, When I found that definition, it really helped me create a couple of exercises for myself. Today, I still have what I call my worry storms, but I stop. I go, okay, I'm in the midst of this worry. And I repeat to myself, to worry is to pray for what I do not want. And by just by repeating that definition to myself, I give myself enough time to stop, separate myself from the emotion. And so I go, okay, instead of focusing on what I'm quote-unquote worried about, let me reframe it into something that's positive. And then the second exercise I have was from a dear friend of mine, Donna Root, who's one of the contributors to the book on self, the subconscious mind. She, I talk about each and every one of us as the CEO of our own life. And so we're in the driver's seat. We have our foot on the accelerator, our hands on the steering wheel. We can go anywhere we want. And she said, now, Sharon, I've got an additional tool for you. When you are worried or you've had a failure or a horrible thing happen to you, instead of allowing it to define yourself, understand that it's just an event or something that you're worried about is just a thought. So take it and put it in the passenger side. And sitting in the passenger seat, look over to it and say, what am I supposed to learn for you? Or why am I allowing you to control me in this way? Why am I having this negative emotion related to you? And what lesson am I supposed to learn? And then open the passenger door and kick it out. Because what happens is that you're ruining precious time today over guilt and shame related to something that happened yesterday or worry about something that may or may not ever happen tomorrow. So you're destroying precious energy and precious time today that you don't need to. So thank you for saying that you're the, you know, you spend a lot of time in this worry. So it sounds like that even though you know these tools, the worry still can creep up. And then it's about the choices that you make from there of either you're going to allow yourself to stick with the worry and let it be your companion, or you move it over to the, the passenger seat, get clear about what it's triggering, and then kick it out. Exactly. Because do you find that people think that, oh, well, you're sharing, you're so successful, you must never worry anymore because you know how to do it? No, worry is an emotion. It comes up. It's still there. And now I know how to deal with it. You know, and do I always deal with it successfully? I'm not going to say that, but I do deal with it a whole lot more successfully than I ever have because I have these tools. The issue is, you know, and again, it comes back to perfection. 
I have been blessed with great success, and I've lived a long life. <laughs> so I've had a lot of negative things happen to me, and I've had a lot of worry and guilt, but I've also along the way learned how to deal with those emotions. And I'm human. I still have them. The issue is, can I get myself past them? So when you can get yourself past them with and not have the worry as much, what happens in your life? Much more joy, much more positive energy, uh, much more time <laughs> because, you know, you can, you can, when you're worried about something, I call, as I said, I call it my own personal rototiller. It's like inside your, you know, if you, if you're worried about a, a meeting tomorrow, well, if I say this, he's going to say this. Well, if I say this, he's going to say this. Or if I do this, he's going to do this. Or if I do this, she's going to say this. And you spend an incredible amount of energy, both mental and physically, obsessing over something that more than likely is never going to happen. And so if you can catch yourself and give yourself a tool to say, okay, this is going to play out tomorrow, and these are the elements that I need to address, and get yourself past that worry. You'll be much healthier, both physically and mentally. Okay. Now, I want to go on to this idea, and you talked about in the last interview of, do you need to close a door so that other doors of opportunity will be open for you? What does it take to be able to be willing, right? And and for instance, let's go with something specific. Somebody who is in a job that is no longer a good fit for them. And they, they feel this calling for wanting to go do something else, right? You've been in this situation, but they're afraid, right? There's probably tremendous fear, loss of income, maybe loss of status. What are they going to do? How will this affect themselves or their families? How does one get that courage to close that door? Well, there's no one size fits all answer for that question. Because Thank you. It depends on the level of what needs to happen. You know, if you're a sole breadwinner and your family depends on your income and but you're unhappy with your job and you want to leave, I would not recommend you just walk out the door because then you just are exchanging one stress for another. Um, but I would recommend you start immediately laying plans and spending time on creating that part-time business or another opportunity so that you could, that door can open so that you can close the door that's making you unhappy and run into the door that's being open for you. And so each and every one of us has to look at this as a, as a period of unique. But I think I'd like to use bring up the word comfortable. So many of us get comfortable in a situation where we know we should be doing something different. And that comfortable status, we may not be happy, but it's a habit. So it's part of our life, and so we don't really want to rock the boat, but it's not really what we want. That's when you have to trigger and say, at what point is my discomfort going to trigger me to take action? And most often, when you actually take action, you're going to feel an incredible sense of relief, and you're going to look back and say, oh. I wish I'd done this years before. 
But don't ever put yourself in a position of exchanging one frustration or one discomfort for yet another. And I, you know what, I thank you so much for saying that there's not just a one size fits all because I think that's a very responsible message for those listening out there, right? And for people to ask themselves questions and how does their circumstances line up and what can they do and use their brains to open up to, well, what ways can they be resourceful? What can they create? Um, What are things that they can do? So I appreciate that. So thank you so much for that. Well, it's, and it's so important because, you know, if we if we had one-line answers for all of these issues, we'd all be, you know, incredibly happy and have no problems at all. Or, as I said, the magic pill. But each and every one of us, and, and what may, may make you ecstatic today, you know, in six months you may realize, wow, this is not, this is not where I need to be. And um, I mean, I'll tell you my, the exercise my daughter um, years ago, she came over to help me clean out my closet. And I was pulling things out to give to Goodwill. And she said, Mom, look at all these clothes. You still have tags on them, and you're giving them away. I go, yeah, I know. Well, you know, I go in to buy one thing, and I end up buying five. And um, so I realized I was an impulse shopper. But what happened was when I, I, when I was first, that made me acknowledge it, realize it, and think, well, gosh, I should do something about this myself and then maybe I can share what I've done. And so I did I created what I called the two minute rule. And the two minute rule and this has to do with worry, frustrations, everything. But my two minute rule was when I'm out there shopping, I see something that I want, rather than just throwing it in my bag, I go, okay, well this was not on my list, but I really love this. But I walk away from it for two minutes. That allows me to get past that emotional energy that's hitting into your brain saying, must have, got to have it, got to have, want it, want it, want it. And it allows me to walk away and think, okay, is it something that I really want? Is it something that I really need? If I don't need it, I still want it. Okay, can I afford it? (laughs) So it allows me to go through this thought process and then if I really still want it, need it, and figure out how I can pay for it, I go get it. But just by inserting that exor- mental exercise for myself, um, it was about two years later, she was back here, and we were pulling, doing my closet again, and there was only one thing that was give- being given away with a tag on it. So I knew myself I had changed a habit by just creating a mental exercise for myself. And so when you are in that process of trying to change something in your life, don't, you know, don't criticize yourself. Just understand that there's a level of discomfort that you get to that you need to change. And so how can you make a small change that will yield big results later on? Ooh, you have great questions. These are great questions for us to ask and to give ourselves a space so that we can be deliberate about the life instead of just reacting to the life that is laid out in front of us. Exactly. I mean, we all, so many of us are live our lives in reaction mode. And, um, you know, I will often ask the question, are you reactive or are you proactive? And, 
typically you're one or the other. And when you acknowledge the fact that you tend to live your life in a reactive mode, if you can start saying, okay, I'm going to start doing this for myself. One thing that's proactive, you'll start seeing other things change so that you can be much more proactive for what you want in life, what you want for your kids, for your family, as opposed to living in a life of reaction. So the next question I have for you that I think is important um, is about the mindsets and how your thoughts can create your reality, right? And um, and you just said about thoughts are are things. What? Why is this so important? Because it and I we I understand the worry piece and what gets in the way, but how is it that these things that we say to ourselves? Um, are things that we create in our life. You, Cause you said earlier, if you think good things, good things will happen to you. Why is that? Well, I think you make yourself open to it. I believe, um, you know, there's a spiritual energy of, um, you know, when just imagine yourself right now, I just take you on this little journey. You know, you close your eyes, think of yourself. You're walking into double doors and you're walking into the funeral of a five-year-old. Do you feel yourself sadness already? Did you feel sadness as I said that? More than likely you did. People are crying, and of course it's a horrible experience to be in that environment. Well, let's back up a little bit and let's approach those doors again. You open the door and you walk in and you're in the middle of a dance party with the Supremes. I'm showing my age. You know, it's Motown. Everybody's laughing and dancing. You feel that energy go up inside of you and you feel, you go, okay, so you are allowing yourself, your your whole energy, your spirit will adjust based on what's happening around you. And so that's why we talk about, it's so important, and I know you want to talk about mindset, but your, you, your mindset is impacted by your environment. And so if you want to have a positive mindset, you need to make sure you minimize the amount of time you allow your environment to be in a negative space. If you have friends who are very critical of you that bring you down when you're with them, minimize the amount of time you spend with them. If your own family is negative, minimize the amount of time you change or offset it with enough time with people that are energetic and positive that want to move forward because you will, you know, just empathetically, you will pick up the energy around you. And so if you can project that, that, that positive energy as well as receive it, then you're going to be creating an environment of positive energy and therefore have positive change. So when you talk about this positive energy, it goes back to like when we were talking earlier about worry and how that can be draining and we may, the, we may not take great actions or we'll take actions that may be, um, you know, uh, overdriven, Right. But when we're in this positive energy, we're, we may be more relaxed so that we can kind of use the whole capacity of our brain to be resourceful and maybe even figure out problems that are laid out in front of us, as well as being able to plan for the long-term vision of our life. Is that what you're saying? Right. So for instance, um, when you're negative, you tend to be, um, again, isolated. You tend to be um, definitive. For instance, um, I can't afford it. 
as a negative statement, all right? It closes your mind. And it's the end, you know, I can't afford it. I, and I try to demonstrate to people the power of your thought process. Instead of saying, I can't afford it, say, how can I afford it? Just by changing it to a more positive question, how can I afford it? It ignites your entrepreneurial spirit. It ignites your problem-solving skills. And all of a sudden, your mind is actively trying to think of ways that you can create value in your life so that you can afford what you want. What can you do to make money? It's a complete opposite of closing yourself down or opening yourself up. It opens your mind and keeps you moving. That's the power of the question. So if you have good questions, then you can inspire those around you to create a better outcome for themselves. Mm, that's great. Something else you said earlier, because we're ta- as we're talking about this, and you talked about, um, was it the fields of energy? And you also talked about armor. Can you say a little bit more about fields of energy? Well, again, the fields of energy are, is the environment you put yourself in. You know, are you working in an environment? So, for instance, um, my daughter is works in the home health care for mm-hmm. seniors. And so she is dealing all the time with people that are at the, you know, just close to the end of their lives, loving, wonderful people. But, you know, they've got health issues and, you know, and it would be very difficult for me to be able to have my body armor. But she has an such an incredible heart that she can go in and be there with them and for them and give them such hope and encouragement. It takes a special person to be able not to be drugged down by the, by the sadness, but bring in the joy. And that's what she can do. And so the people that are out there that are work with abused children, I'm on the National Board for Child Help, and I quickly learned that my place was in the boardroom helping them create fundraisers because when I was with the kids, you're supposed to be joyful and wonderful, and all I want to do is cry. So I mean, each and every one of us has our unique talent. How can we place ourselves in the environment where that talent blossoms and supports others? Thank you for giving those examples because, you know, in using your strengths instead of, again, this one-size-fits-all, like I should help these kids, realizing that when you're there – that the energy that you're bringing is really sad and you want to be uplifting in that environment. So how can you use your strengths to still help these kids, but in a manner where you're not um, bringing energy into that space that is not going to be as beneficial to them? Right. I mean, they're so joyful because they're, you know, we have a residential facility for the children that are the, the most abused kids out there. And, you know, they are, they're joyful to be there and, but to know what they've been through, you just want to take them all home with you. You want to give them, you know, and it's so important that you have the right attitude and the right positive energy with these kids. And when you, when you're there and you start hearing the stories, it's hard not to be impacted by the stories some of these children have lived through. And how do you put on armor to manage your energy, Sharon? Um, a lot of self-talk, a lot of preparation. Um, you know, the armor I talk about is when you, for instance, when you walk into a situation when somebody's dealing with 
um, you know, a health issue and they're in the last stages of their life, you go in and you know you before you say, okay, I have to be positive. I have to give them hope. I have to be able to be loving. You know, if you go in and start just crying all over them, you're not going to help the situation. And that's the kind of armor I'm talking about. It's also protecting your own heart. If you're going into a situation and you know there's going to be negative people around and you still need to be there, just understand I'm not going to allow their negativity to impact me in a negative way. So it it goes back to that mindset again. How are you going to talk to yourself? What is your intention for when you walk in? Realizing that there may be some stuff, but being really deliberate about what it is that you want to bring into the space that you're going into. And, and, and being honest with yourself because we all have those issues that we're very sensitive about and we get ourselves in situations where we start getting emotional and it's just training yourself. The more you do it, the easier it becomes because you start, you start recognizing when emotions are driving your car. And that's when you can say, well, wait a minute, let me take take the foot off the accelerator a little bit. I'm in an emotional state. That's probably not a good position for me to be in. How can I stop, take the emotion, and set in the passenger seat, okay, what what is it I'm emotional about? What's the underlying issue, and how can I deal with it to make myself happier and stronger? So, Sharon, as we wrap up today, what are two takeaways for the listeners today? I think what you said is very important. We are lifelong learners. And um, you know, people, what happens is that fear of criticism also turns into a easy for her to say. Mm-hmm. And so when, when we're, somebody's talking like myself or you, you know, they go, well, yeah, it's easy for her to say, look at her success. That is actually a fear of criticism and a fear of failure, fear of actually putting yourself out there. And, you know, I wonder if you have those feelings, that inner talk, just allow yourself to say, okay, wait a minute, stop. You know, if switch that, easy for her to say, say, if she can do it, so mm-hmm. can I. And it, it absolutely shifts you into a inspired motivational mindset of if she can do it, so can I. And not allow that jealousy or that negativity to make you feel like somehow somebody's better than you. They're not. We are all human beings. We all have the same opportunity. We have the incredible opportunity to live in an environment where we can create businesses. We can become entrepreneurial within our jobs we can be entrepreneurial within our homes. We can be entrepreneurial with our kids. We can teach the skills that we can, each and every one of us have the opportunity to create success in our lives. Thank you. And that's a really important concept for people to get because we, get to, we, get, we do get to create it. Whereas in some countries, we may not have these opportunities that this is the way that we have to live, right? It's very limited. But We have lots of different ways that we get to choose. It can become overwhelming, but what is best for us and our families or in our lives? So thank you so much, Sharon, for coming back and being willing to share some more of uh, your knowledge and your experience and your brilliance with my listeners. 
Well, thank you so much. I truly appreciate it. I've enjoyed it and appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. All right. I feel like I'm repeating myself over and over and over, and then I get guests to repeat what I have to say. You know, I love what Sharon had to say that there's no, you know, one size fits all. We so want to see that we buy books because we think, or at least this is what I used to think, this is going to fix me. First off, you're not broken. Secondly, if we can get into like what Carol Dweck, a previous guest on my show, has talked about being in a growth mindset, right? Coming from that place and going into like what Sharon said about learning, always be learning. There are no right and wrong answers. And perfection, as we know from Brene Brown, is just a way to create shame. And that's where all of our addictions and a lot of our societal problems come from. So, you know, if that is a message that you get that, okay, you, it's, you're going to learn, you're going to make mistakes, you know, and I love that Sharon was so great about sharing with, you know, she, yes, she's had tremendous successes. Not only has she been written, writing these books for the Napoleon Hill Foundation and being very successful in the business world and then being a part of, you know, building that whole, um, rich dad, poor dad company, you know, being a major contributor and then getting appointed by President Bush and then President Obama and working in those administrations and being on those sorts of boards, we can get into that place of, well, yeah, of course that can happen to her, but not for me. And as you listen to the outro of the show, the question that I ask for you is that not that this is a blueprint, not that you want to live Sharon's life, right? And and for some of you, like as she said, she listened to Motown, right? She may be in a different demographic. But the question to ask yourself is if that is possible for her, what is possible for you? What nuggets from the show can you take and apply? And maybe the nugget is to stop worrying, right? I remind myself all the time about that. I used to be in such a state of worry all the time, but it was a waste of energy, right? And I love her definition of worry, that worry, I'm trying to find that page on my notes, worry is praying for what you do not want to happen, right? I invite you to let go of those worries and practice living the life that you want. You know, go back and re-listen to this interview a couple of times to see what it is that you can take and practice and you're going to forget about it right? And then you're going to struggle one day and come back. All these resources are here. They're free for you to go through and listen to. And sometimes it may be like when she talks about the environment that you surround yourself with. One of the things that I talk with my clients about is, you know, when you need that support and maybe I am not there, we don't have a session or you may not have your friend or the people that are on your list. What are the other things that you can do? Remember, Sharon talked about a book that she read that was really instrumental in changing her life. Or so many listeners write in to me to tell me how these interviews impact their life. So their TV shows or interviews, how can you surround yourself with information, with content or an environment that supports you to live this life that you want, that can get you out of what's holding you back and moving forward? One, first identify what's holding you back. And like she said, it's usually fear. You know, I will add to that, it can be shame, right? The shame of what are other people going to think? right? And other people's judgments. But then when you get really clear about that, you know, and you get very precise, then it's about creating deliberately what it is that you want. 
going and practicing and not getting in your own way because you go, oh, I've only lost three pounds out of 50. How am I ever going to get there? Instead, it's about celebrating that you lost those three pounds or maybe you made that first $100 in your business or maybe you actually got a text from your daughter, your teenager that said, I love you too or love you too with the number two. Celebrate those small things because that's when it's going to keep you sustainable to keep moving forward. So thanks so much for listening to this show. And, you know, I love the feedback that I get from the listeners and the letters and the emails. And I think of you often as I'm putting these shows together or as I'm writing a piece for the newsletter. So thank you for being a part of my life and inspiring me to put content together that can help you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to How She Really Does It. I invite you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter at howshereallydoesit.com. I do this show each week for you so you can now see the windows of possibilities in your own life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones who've acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. Each week, I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and uncertainty, yet somehow they have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space so you can ask yourself, if that is possible for them, what is possible for me? Really ask yourself that. I would love to connect with you. Please join me at www.howshereallydoesit.com. And thanks for listening today. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wild.